You are listening to a Banzai Retro Club podcast. Language and topics may not always be appropriate for younger listeners. Press 1 for a groovy topic from the 1970s. Press 2 for an awesome topic from the 1980s. Or press 3 for a slamming topic from the 1990s. Please choose now. Too late. We have made your selection for you. Let's start the show. Still recording. So you want to take lead? Ah, okay. Interesting. Um, it's been a while. Let me clear my throat. Okay. Me, 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 me. Yes, do that with <laughs> Did that with the, the mute button, but uh, <laughs> uh, okay. This is seventy something podcast. Evil Knievel sold separately or with the Evil Knievel stunt cycle from Ideal. Use the force. everybody back to bonsai retro club i'm suzanne and i've got dave here hello everybody and uh we're back you know this is a I, kind of our second show back since we've had a little bit of a, of a break but we wanted to get things moving again and rolling and since um not sure when you're listening but uh this is we're still in January. It's the beginning of the year. So we wanted to kick things off with uh, kind of the year-end wrap-up for 2021 since everybody's like, okay, glad it's over. Let's move on. <laughs> so uh, that means that we're going to start with 1971. So we're really going back in time to the beginning of our you know, range of periods that we talked to, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I guess it's something that we've done for a few years now where our um, year in wrap up episodes, which is a series of three, uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, the decades that we cover, but we just, you know, use the final digit of the previous years, you know, that, um, you know, from like, you know, since we just wrapped up 2021, now we're going to be covering 1971 on this episode, and then we'll cover 1981 and then 1991. Um, so that's kind of the reason why we're doing this. Sounds good. Now, how old were you, Suzanne, in 71? Uh, well, if I do have to date myself, yeah, 71. Um, I was in first grade, I think, going into second grade. So, okay. what, six, seven years old? Okay. But I remember it pretty well. This was actually kind of a pivotal year for me because in 1972, I moved from Nassau County on Long Island out to Suffolk, which was like way out in the boondocks for Long Island. But we moved from an apartment building into a little house. And that was like a big deal for my family. We moved into a house. I had my own bedroom, the whole thing. So I 
I have a lot of very distinct memories from from this year. And it was kind of when we, you know, like right about when we made the transition, and, you know, when you switch from one school district to another and, you know, it's, it's very traumatic because it was actually in January of 1972 when we moved. So I remember what was going on. You know, I remember walking to school at the old, you know, from the old apartment building because it was kind of on a busy street. And, you know, then it, it uh, suddenly I turned into a girl who was taking a bus to a school that was kind of far away because we were out in the middle of no place. So um, I do remember like all the songs and things that were on, on the radio and, um, you know, the clothes and the, the, some, some of the things that were, were going on. I, I think my parents sh- uh, uh, sheltered me from the real heavy stuff, but I remember some of these news items. Okay. Um, how about you? I know you're a little younger. Do you have memories of these kind of things firsthand? Firsthand? Oh, this was a giant pivotal year for me. Um, you know, I was uh, getting, um, you know, fed from a bottle. Um, I was uh, probably wow, pooping yeah, okay. a lot of diapers. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, yeah, I was born in 1970, in, in December 1970. So there's going to be nothing of 1971, you know, uh, in real time that I'm going to remember. So anything that I would have collected now is going to be, you know, uh, going back and visiting it after, you know, its heyday. Um, so yeah, that's uh, um, <laughs> essentially it. it that I, I wouldn't have remembered anything from this year, um, you know, for. Uh, yeah, my first year of life, I think. So I feel so mature. <laughs> <laughs> I was seven. I can remember the, the Beatles songs that I mean on the radio. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, I, I mean, as I get older, then you know, my, you know, my mom was listening to uh, old time rock and roll. You know, like the, st- you know, pretty much everything from the. Um, American Graffiti soundtrack. I, it's like I had mm-hmm. that memorized. Yeah, uh, my parents were big on that too. And, and that was courtesy of my mom. You know, she was a, she was really into that. My dad was, you know, he liked two types of music: country and western. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, for me, you know, he gave me that kind of, you know, the Grand Ole Opry kind of vibe, you know, uh, of music, you know, uh, selection, and you know, hers was the uh, if you want to say, I don't know if you want to say classic rock. It's not that, but you know the Buddy Holly days. Mhm. Interesting. Yeah, kind of rockabilly. Yeah, I guess my parents were, my parents were big on the doo wop and stuff. Also, my dad was actually a doo wop singer. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we were very conscious of, I don't know, like when you you're on a busy street like that, there's a lot of sounds and like music coming out of buildings and. I remember hearing a lot of songs walking back and forth to school, you know, like there was a Carvel on the corner and they were always playing music and there was a gas station and, you know, like, uh, I don't know. I always hear I remember hearing the radio being played a lot. Nice. Um, outdoors because we weren't in a neighborhood. We were on a street with a hardware store and a gas station and all those, you know, laundromat and a candy store and all this kind of stuff. So, um, so, like, I got more, I think, musical culture and, like, more of, like, that hippie vibe that was going on from being out there and just walking back and forth. Now, I mean, think about it. Like, I don't know that anybody would allow – do it. people allow their kids to walk to school, like, on a busy street like that by themselves at 6? I don't know if that's a thing anymore, but we did it. <laughs> and 
it was kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I don't have, I don't know what it's like living in, you know, a bigger town or city or anything like that. You know, I live in the suburbs. Um, so, you know, my daughter, you know, or my kids have, you know, you know, they'll get on the bus or, um, you know, uh, worst case scenario, you know, if they want to ride their bike to school, you know, and there's not any, you know, like a plethora of businesses that they have to interact with on the, on the route, you know, to it, you know, and nobody, nobody is like, you know, like CVS pharmacy is not playing music, you know, outside, you know, so there's, there's, there's like not like, there's no downtown vibe at all. You know, no, I wouldn't say it was. I wouldn't say it was downtown, and it was. I mean, it was Long Island. It wasn't Long, New York City, but it was a busy street. It was a busier area in Nassau County, and I think like it maybe there wasn't a ton of air conditioning being used at the time. Like the, the, all the stores would have their doors open. Okay. Maybe that's kind of what I'm remembering. Going past door doors and hearing the music at the different little stores that were on the street. Okay. Um. So. I think that's kind of more what it was. You know, like if you go to a, da- a gas station now, some of them are playing music. It was kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. Except there was, you know, other little mom and pop stores um, along the route. Because it was really kind of only around the block. I didn't walk too far. But it was er, it was busy enough that was, there was a crossing guard at a major intersection that I had to cross get to the next street where the school was. So yeah. that was... Um, you know, straight. You see a lot of people walking by, and a lot of you know, there's a lot of cars, and maybe there were car radios. There probably were car radios in the summer too, because I remember music. <laughs> but when it comes to some, like I'm looking at the movies now, and I've seen at least one of these movies, but I didn't see it as a child. God help me. <laughs> we'll get to it. But <laughs> I didn't see, you know, adult movies. Uh, I'm kind of looking at a, a broader list, and I see some of the more family-friendly movies that my parents took me to see that year, but. Okay. But I do at least, you know, if we're gonna gonna go into Clockwork Orange, I didn't see till I was like eighteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we can start there. We can start the uh, the top movies uh, for nineteen seventy one, which you already brought up. Uh, number one, which is a Clockwork Orange. Number two is the French Connection, and number three is the Last Picture Show. Um, starting with Clockwork Orange, I tried. I I real I want to say maybe maybe ten years ago. Um, somewhere around that area, I did try to start to watch this movie, and I just couldn't get into it. It is cringy. It is rough to watch. Uh, but um, I did see it. I thought it was freaking brilliant. It's an amazing movie. Okay. Um, but it is hard to watch. It is horrifyingly violent, especially against women. But for a point, and almost for like a literary point, and um, I have to tell you, I saw it when I was in high school. I saw it with my boyfriend that I'm now married to, uh, and we were under the influence of certain things that, you know, (laughs) messed around with in high school. Yeah. So it was maybe even a little freakier. (laughs) Sure. But... I don't know, like your mind is more open when you're a teenager and you kind of haven't really, I don't know, it doesn't really seem like this could be real and have an effect on anybody. You know what I mean? It almost felt like cartoony violence. Okay. Um, Because it had that weird, freaky, futuristic feel to it. That, once again, when I saw it in the 80s, 
it didn't feel futuristic. It felt like a 60s version almost of the future, you know? Like the Jetsons type of... Yeah. Go, you know, think like uh, Running Man, you know, with uh, Schwarzenegger or whatever. You know, it's like, you know, their version of what they think the future is going to be. Right, right, which is which was a little weird. But yeah. I'll tell you what, once I saw it, and if you did see it, <clears throat> if you only saw the beginning, then maybe this might have been a hindrance. They're practically speaking another language. They have their own teen slang. Yeah. Which they call, what do they call it? I forget what they call it. It was something kind of Russian sounding, like it was sort sort of um, mixed a little bit with Russian, which this isn't the only like futuristic movie where they decided that some other country was going to have a huge influence on the, uh, well, they were, they were, it's actually in England, but um, uh, it's hard to, like, you have to get a good 20 minutes or half hour into the, into the film to kind of pick up on what the main character is saying, because he's using all that, that slang, which is practically, practically, like I said, their own language. Um, but once you start to figure it out, it's really cool. It's really cool. Um, and it inspired me to go buy the book and read it. And the book is pretty amazing. It's a really amazing experience. Um, did, um, I guess, I mean, I can kind of, if I recall, I, you know, I can go over the plot a bit. It's really kind of, uh, deep stuff. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So it depicts this gang of youth they're supposed to be teenagers it takes you a while to figure that out too because they don't look like teenagers but they're supposed to be teens unemployed teens in this futuristic you know terrifying lawless version of england of maybe it was london uh and but, but they... just to go back for a second as far as not looking like teens i mean we we had uh, uh you know the grease casts yeah those mm-hmm. definitely were not teens um, right, and we it bought wasn't it. Really, the so, style, you know, in yeah. Hollywood too. They didn't start using real teenagers for movies till the eighties. Yeah, but, but um, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, no problem. Because I think he's supposed to be fifteen, and I think you're halfway through the movie before you found out he's actually fifteen. <laughs> but in any case, so there's there's just just these wild gangs of young men running around, beating up old people and robbing people. They just like go out on these wilding nights um you know speaking this slang and talking about ultra violence and just like destroying things and people and you know raping people and it's horrifying um but the point is then he gets arrested he gets caught because he, he, he accidentally murders somebody during one of these robberies alex who's the uh, main character um he goes to jail they try to rehabilitate him and they force him through like you it's very famous you see the clips of him with his eyes uh clamped open yeah very frightening um but what they do is they feed they show him hours and hours of um of violent footage and they give him drugs to make him sick so now he has no choice anymore if he tries to do something violent he gets ill so the question that the whole thing raises is if you don't have a choice between being good and being evil, are you, are you good or are you just the soulless person who has no free will? And that's why they have to give you this horrifying example of like conscious 
consciousless violence, you know, like mindless violence, just to show you what happens when they try to correct that and how he comes, he kind of comes into his own in the, in the end. And I guess it's kind of a weird ending, but, um, but that's like the, the, um, the core of this is trying to figure out, are you still a human being? If you no longer have free will to choose, even if you choose to be terrible. So, you know, it brings up a lot of big questions and it does it in a really in-your-face difficult way. <laughs> huh. All right. I mean, it sounds – I mean, it's intriguing the way you you described it. Um, <sighs> I just don't know if – you know, if I've got to work, you know, at it for 30 minutes to kind of understand what they're saying, you know, th- it might not be something that I, like, want to revisit then. Yeah, I, I guess. Um how long ago was it? Like, if you want, if you're now in the in you know in the, the way that we currently consume this kind of media, you'd sit and you'd watch it in your house, and if you didn't like it, you'd turn it off and do something else. Right. I I went to see it in a theater, like at a college film festival or something. So you're there. Yeah. You're not get up and go home. Right. <laughs> so you're kind of in it in it as as an experience, you know. Yeah. So and then you start to get it. And, and I think I'm a much better like consumer of movies you know that you know you you'd watch like streaming or whatever than like for instance my wife because my wife will kind of listen and watch certain things but then look down on her phone and you know scroll and stuff like that and then we had to go back and kind of explain to her about like what stuff she was doing while she was texting with somebody (laughs) um and you know, so something like this she probably would never ever get into because you know she would have to devote a lot of yeah, the work. a little bit of work. Yeah, a little bit of yeah, de- devote all your like attention to it, and that's what I do when I'm watching a movie. If I'm, you know, if if I'm you know making that commitment of hitting play, you know, which isn't a big commitment, but if I find a two, a, a movie and I you know I go okay, I'm going to go ahead and make time for this and you know hit play and I'm going to watch it. Then that's all I'm doing. I, I really don't even look at my phone. And if somebody comes in the room, they want to talk, I pause. So you know, I mean, to your point though, yeah, it, when you're at like a movie theater, that's all you're doing, you know. And you're yeah, you're, you're there, you're committed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, if I'm and watching if a movie, any and film you, that's gonna like be offended and get up and walk out, this would have been it. <laughs> yeah, and if you're, you know, if a movie like this, if you can't get me hooked within, let's say, 30 minutes. You know, I'm, you know, I'm liable to just move on to something else, you know, and, you know, I have that luxury, you know, in this streaming world, you know, to do that. You know, we have, uh, you know, almost that mentality now where you need to, you know, get me invested in the movie, you know, pretty quickly yeah. or, or I'm moving on to, you know, another streaming movie. Yeah, it's, it also has a very strange atmosphere. Like it's a, it's Stanley Kubrick, and so if you know, like you've, I'm sure you've seen other Stanley Kubrick yeah. films. Yeah. You know, like The Shining has just like that eerie feeling from the beginning. Sure. This has that same feeling. I don't know how he. Some people just are able to, just create this bizarre, you know, emotional atmosphere from the moment that the movie starts. Starts, and it's it's one of those movies. Right. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, so moving on to the next one is the French Connection. Do you yeah. have a, a relationship with this movie? No, these other two. I'm hoping, <laughs> hoping you know better than me. Um, I've never. And the Shepherd. <laughs> yeah, I mean, reading the um, uh, the blurb about the French Connection, it's a pair of New York uh, police department detectives in the narcotics bureau stumble into a heroin smuggling ring based in Marseille. 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 But okay. stop. But stopping them and capturing the leader proves an elusive goal. Um, so it's got Gene Hackman in it, Roy Schneider, or Sh Roy Scheider, sorry, that's his Schneider, mm. Roy Scheider. Okay. Scheider, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah from uh, Jaws uh, fame. Um, and uh, no, I've actually not seen uh, this movie, um, but I used to have this um I want to say it was like a uh, like a DVD that you put in your computer, and it allowed you to have like the uh, top scenes from you know various iconic movies, and mm -hmm. the car scene. There is a car chase scene that is most iconic for this movie. Oh, um, I think I've heard about the car scene. Yeah. Right. The so, chase. Yeah. So I know I know that because I've seen that part. Uh, but I've never actually watched the movie. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, quite a wild ride of uh, the car chase. Yeah, I think I have seen that actually. I think my husband showed me that one at some point or, or another. Um, and I think I remember hearing about the car, the, you know, the particular car that they used in the, in that film. And yeah, it, it is supposedly very, very iconic, um, like I said, sadly, I, I, I don't have anything to kind of link it to. And I didn't, you know, once again, I didn't see these films in the theater when I was a kid. Um, although my parents were big at, on dragging us to films that were not particularly appropriate for us, but they wanted to get out of the house and they were driving. So, you know, they kind of throw us in the back. But um, I did not see this film, but I did see other movies that I probably shouldn't have seen from this, <laughs> this era sure, in sure. that fashion. <laughs> Okay, and then our last movie is The Last Picture Show. Um, let me see what that's about. Uh, well, this is the one with Sybil Shepherd, who is, who is gorgeous. Um, you know, I've seen other, I've been a fan of hers and other things that she's done, but, you know, this kind of predates me, and it's not the kind of thing I would go back and necessarily watch. Yeah, it looks like it's black and white. Jeff Bridges, Sybil Shepherd. Uh, let's see, Tiny Anarene, Texas, in the lull between World War II and the Korean conflict, Sonny and Duane are best friends. And during that awkward period of life between boyhood and manhood, the two pass their best way they know how with the movie house, football, and girls. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yep, I, I've got nothing on this one. Yeah, and, and not not too much here either. Just kind of seems like, uh, you know, they were they were very like there were a lot of kind of slice of life type of movies, you know, like Raging Bull and stuff where you you kind of you know you just like kind of drag through somebody's life. Um, although that one was kind of brutal too. <laughs> but I think the '70s were were big on that, you know, like 
It didn't have to be, um, you know, a, a movie that had 10 billion twists, plot twists. Yeah. I think things were a little bit more maybe character driven. So it sounds like this was that kind of movie. But I am sort of guessing. Yeah, the the tag on the uh, the, the poster, it says uh, Anarene, Texas, 1951. Nothing much has changed, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. You would never be able to sell something with that tag on that. Yeah, I know. It's, it's... That's like saying, my story's boring, please don't ever read it. <laughs> I'm like, and this drove people to the theater how? Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. But it's like listed as one of the top three, so it's got to have done something. Yeah, well, I haven't seen it because I can't. I mean, maybe you know, it could be that it's particularly brilliant, you know. But once again, I think you'd be hard pressed to sell that as a movie plot and a tagline in today's market. Let's try to see if there's. Okay, all right. So, uh, the budget was 1.3 million estimated, and the gross that it did worldwide. Was twenty nine million one hundred forty six thousand one hundred thirty one. So hour fifty eight minutes, black and white. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so that's it, all right. I don't know. I saw Fiddler on the Roof and you know Willy Wonka that year. <laughs> Those were my big movie experiences in nineteen seventy one. I'm sorry, give those to me again, Willy Wonka? Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Okay, love that movie. Fiddler on the Roof. Okay. Nope, I uh, don't sure. recall that one. Sure went on to do a production back in the 90s. but. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Let me see. Let me, let me go into the entire list of 1971 movies and see if there's anything that I, like, you know, jumps out as me as... Like something I've seen in the, you know, after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, Willy Wonka, yep, you're right. Uh, Dirty Harry, that's a good one. Yeah, that's another favorite of my husband. Um, okay. Oh, I'm, I'm seeing a couple. All right. <clears throat> so, Duel which I think was a television movie, was a really early Steven Spielberg movie about a guy who's being terrorized by a trucker on the road, like an anonymous trucker that he got, that he cut off. Okay. Um, it was really kind of frightening. A very simple concept, but because I did see that as a kid. Because once again, I think it was on television. Let me... Uh... Could double check that if I'm thinking of the right film. Action thriller, television film, yeah. Um, you can't really describe it. You have to like, you know, once again, one of those films where you're like in the moment, it's really tense. Um, but it um, it was frightening. To just like there was, he tried. Ed, this poor driver tried everything he could to elude. This guy in this huge Mack truck that was just terrorizing him through, you know, an hour and a half's worth of highway. Um, I think he eventually found a way to make the guy inadvertently go over a cliff or something. But 
it's just kind of notable that that was a real early Steven Spielberg effort. Okay. I've seen the remake of Straw Dogs. I haven't seen the original, though. Mm. I don't, don't know that one too well. A young American and his English wife come to rural England and face increasingly vicious local harassment. The one I saw was a version where you had um, uh, just a small southern town kind of a a vibe. And, uh, you know, this new couple moves in. And, of course, the the wife is, you know, very beautiful, you know. And so one of the kind of the leader of this group of guys, you know, has affection towards the wife. And so he's terrorizing them trying to you know get you know with the wife or whatever and but you know in in essence really becoming a total nightmare to these you know to this couple and you know where they basically you know don't really have a a way to kind of survive in this small town because you know these other guys have that have been there you know being the good old boys that they are you know are just kind of running things so mm-hmm. so that's kind of the, okay. the, the modern take on that you know that 71 that's, movie yeah yeah but still kind of like a small town right. you know psychological let's get into everybody's heads which i'm seeing might have been a theme because i'm looking at carnal knowledge i remember i remember seeing that but not not in a day like years later same kind of thing, like a, you know, love triangle, kind of, you know, two friends trying to deal with their youth. And what else have we got? Clute and uh, Play Misty for Me. That was kind of a cool, tense thriller. You know, another someone being stalked by, you know, a guy being stalked, a, a radio DJ being stalked by a fan, I think. Um but uh, yeah, they're all kind of feeling that. Uh, I'm I'm remembering that '70s vibe from movies. That uh, you know, it wasn't like a bunch of car crashes and explosions and things. It was more like psychological. Right. Where right. you sat and you waited it out in through that person's life to see how things, you know, ended up. Right. Okay. Okay. Do we want? Yeah. Do we want to move on to? Uh, Music or events and such? Uh, well, you said music, so let's go music. Let's go music. All right, well, you sent over this list of the best album al- albums according to a site called Dig! Exclamation point. Yep. Um, yeah, this is kind of interesting. I might throw in a couple. Um, but what this says to me is that it was a real, like, like when you think of like classic rock, this is a real classic rock type of list. I mean, the classics. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there's a there's a lot of these, but you said you maybe wanted to do the top three. Yeah. Which okay, those are interesting. Let's scroll to the top three. So that's uh, L.A. Woman by The Doors, uh, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, Blue by Joni Mitchell. Okay. And then uh, Untitled Fourth Album by Led Zeppelin. 
Yeah, which is pretty much known as Led Zeppelin IV. Yeah. Which, <clears throat> once again, I was when I was in high school, like that was Led Zeppelin IV. I think like all the guys just were playing this. You know, even going into like middle school, guys were playing that. You know, like this was kind of a timeless album. I think even though, you know, Led Zeppelin was more like an early 70s phenomenon, I think that carried over, at least in my high school, um, and just hung. It just clung to people. I know um, I know my husband and, and his set, they were all Led big, huge Led Zeppelin fans, even, you know, going into the early 80s, so... So I'm I'm way for, I was not a big fan, but I'm way familiar with it because everybody listened to it, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've never been really into Led Zeppelin. I I really haven't. Um, you know, I don't I don't dislike their stuff, but I'm not like uh you know, like a diehard either. Um, so you know, in in my brain, I'm like I probably heard. Uh, on this list, there's also like the must hear song, I guess, from the album, and it lists yeah. when the levee breaks. Um, and in my brain, I'm like, I probably know this song, but I don't. It like I don't. When I see the title, I don't connect it to like the song, you know. Mm-hmm. So I almost need to like take a break here and like listen to the song just so I can familiarize myself and say, Yo, yeah, I know that one. But uh, right yeah, now I it doesn't. It and I recognized it, but it's not the type of thing I could like sing back to you. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, same kind of thing. Like uh, you know, this Led Zeppelin was a big part of my of, of the background in my um, young like teenhood. Right. And I kind of know the titles of these songs, but I don't know that I, I'm the type who could even who could match up most of the titles to the song. Right. But then if you played the song, I'll recognize the song. I just want to know, oh, is that is, is that the one that's you know blah blah blah. But um, you know, there's a there's a few now that I'll remember what the actual title is um, if you play them for me. But I am not a huge aficionado. But I mean, they're very trippy. They're a lot of fun to like sit um you know sit in the woods with a bonfire and a boom box and you know listen to it and drink beer you know that's kind of my memories of led zeppelin and that was not from 1971 that like i said we did that in later years yeah it was um you know my experience with you know being i don't say introduced to this type of uh, music but you know getting kind of my exposure to it um, you know, was a good friend of mine when I was, you know, 17, 18 years old, uh, a guy named Doug. I'd go over to his house because he had a turntable set up and a stereo that I really, to this day, I still don't understand how his parents play it, let him play it so loud. Um, <laughs> but he had like the whole setup, the mixing board and everything. And he, he was just, you know, a... You know, kind of like a DJ for one, you know, because there'd only be like me or maybe wow. one other friend over, and he would sit there and transition records, you know, or songs between, you know, and fade out, fade into the new song, you know, where I almost like never heard the end of any song because, you know, he was. <laughs> That's you know, a neat concept, though, DJ for one. Yeah. I, I like that concept, that uh, that image of. Uh, 
somebody just like going as far as to transition the music from one song to the other. Right. Just for your buddy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I mean, he would have mixed everything from, you know, this would have been the late 80s. So, you know, you would have gotten your George Michael, Sting, you know, and then he would have put in some of the classic stuff. And I know there was Led Zeppelin in there. I just remember, you know, I, you know, he was kind of like that. He had just the huge eclectic, you know, music collection, you know, which I, he had to invest so much money on that setup. Yeah. Um, Where is that collection now? Does he still have it? <laughs> I'd love to catch up with Doug just to find out. You know, last I heard, he became a nurse. Um, so I'm hoping he still maintained his, you know, really primo, uh, stereo system and his Mustang. Um, I was jealous of that Mustang. (laughs) My first car was a Mustang. Yeah. (laughs) It was old and falling apart, but it was still a Mustang. (laughs) But yeah, so, I mean, yeah, this is, you know, he would have, he would have introduced me to this, you know, if anybody would have done it, you know, like I said, a lot of my, when I wasn't able to control the radio, you know, it's like my mom with her, you know, classic rock songs, you know, from the 50s, 60s rock. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then my dad with, you know, country music. So, you know, it, it wasn't really anything that I would have gotten, you know, uh, my own kind of taste buds into music until, you know, we moved to Claremont, Florida, which is north of where we lived in Clewiston. And, you know, there was a little bit more of a diverse music collection of friends that I kind of started to, you know, hang with. So, you know, that was kind of, so it would have been later in life for me, you know, Mm -hmm. later in my teenage life anyway. Okay. Well, before we move off of this album, I guess we have to acknowledge the fact that Stairway to Heaven was on this album. (laughs) Oh, why was that not like the must hear? I don't know, because maybe they're going a little bit more eclectic instead of must hear, you know? Okay. Or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, looking at it a little closer, yeah, this is that album. So I guess that's why it was everywhere. And just imagine what music was like before Stairway to Heaven. I mean, what did people point to when <laughs> <laughs> the most popular song ever? <laughs> Man, I, every time I think of Stairway to Heaven, I always think Wayne's World. <laughs> it's like I can't yeah. I can't get past the scene where he's in the uh, the music shop and he's just starting to play it and it's like you know the guy stops him and points to the uh, the sign and says you know no stairway to heaven <laughs> and um, yeah Wayne looks at the uh, the camera denied <laughs> Wayne was fun yeah. this is his kind of list yeah. <laughs> he would like this yep. he would like to say Wayne. <laughs> All right, so okay. number two, Joni Mitchell. Two, Joni Mitchell. Uh, okay, I did not listen to, to Joni Mitchell. Like I said, this is all a little before my time. But I do remember that year that I did move into that house, the girl next door to me was a teenager, and her name was Joni. And she actually spelled it like this. Um, but we got to be buddies because she'd come over and babysit now and then. And, and then reciprocally, she would, she would let me to come hang out in her room now and then. Like I was just like seven-year-old and she just loved Joni Mitchell and she'd show me all the albums and she played the music and she had the vest with the fringe and she had all like the the happy flowers and things like think all that 70s decor with the big 
you know, love, make love, not war type of decor in her room. And she was big into these, um, you know, like the folk singer type of Peter, Paul and Mary and Joni Mitchell type of uh, albums. Um, and at the time, I thought that was really cool. But, you know, it wasn't anything that I heard on the radio. So. Sorry, uh, I'm, 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 I'm listening yeah, can, to you. I just was also listening to the yeah, song. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can kind of, I can kind of hear it. I didn't, I didn't know this song. Like, I maybe know a couple of her songs, but um, just in. Yeah, she has a pretty voice. Yeah, definitely. This in, is a case of you. Yeah, see now I don't remember the song. I, I, I don't think they're going with the biggest song. Okay. Yeah, uh, in in kind of in listening to a couple of things just like before this podcast, it's almost making me think like she must have heavily influenced like Suzanne Vega. I mean, she even kind of looks a little bit like her, so or at least in this you know pictures pictures that I've got here. Um, so and, you know, I guess I gotta go for that because you know Suzanne was my favorite. So maybe if I was a little bit older, this would have been the kind of music that I gravitated to okay. in this in this list of classic rockers, you know, long haired seventies rockers. <laughs> I probably would have been a Joni Mitchell fan too. <laughs> yeah. Just that little snippet that I was listening to. I, it just it reminded me of um, like coffee house music. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that would qualify at yeah. this point. It's like, it's like not, not over the top, not going to offend anybody. It's just going to let here. Here's a latte. Here's a scone. We got some Joni Mitchell on. Enjoy. You know. Yeah, I'm more thinking like you go to the coffee shop and there's somebody sitting there with, with a guitar and a microphone sure. drumming. Sure, sure, sure. You know, kind of like yeah. the Phoebe Buffay used to try to do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Uh, uh, but, you know. Playing a little smelly cat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this was see, this was might have been a little bit more underground hippie. I don't I don't remember ever hearing Joni Mitchell walking to school. <laughs> gotcha. You know, it's more like Beatles and top forty type AM radio stuff. Yep. Which was out there, you know, it wasn't just these long hair bands, you know. There was a lot of like funky um funky stuff going on out there, like um Earth Wind and Fire type stuff, I guess. And, uh, you know, I rock the boat, don't tip the boat over, <laughs> you know, like I'm remembering those songs a lot from this era and they're not reflected on this particular list. So it was a little bit more, um, there's a little bit more variety, I think, than, um, than just the classic rock. But it says that she had a romance with James Taylor. Yeah, I read that too. Maybe that was before Carly Simon. Okay. But you can kind of see where that triangle might have developed. You got, you got a yeah, you got that same kind of vibe of music, you know. It's not yeah. uh, not over your top, kind of a just chill out kind of a here I am singer songwriter. Yeah, female songwriter. Yeah. Kind of soulful lyrics and yeah. poetry and I loved Carly Simon. See, now I had I was I was big on Carly Simon. Okay. All right. Well, then we go to the other spectrum away from this, The Doors, L.A. Woman. Yeah. Jim Morrison, Jim Morrison, Jim Morrison. 
What would you yeah, be doing? Pretty wild. What, what would you be doing now if you're still alive, sir? Um. Yeah. I like the doors. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I mean, a lot of my, uh, you know, my appreciation of them, you know, it was later in life. You know, it's something I discovered. Uh-huh. You know, and and I'm not a, you know, a doors, um, you know, uh, completist where I've got like you know a huge knowledge set of you know all doors albums. Um, and, and, you know, I, I know the, the big ones, you know, um, Light My Fire, um, yeah, What's on This One, Riders on the Storm, L.A. Woman. Um, so, you know, I, I'm aware of these. And I actually I do, you know, I'll, I'll occasionally put in like Spotify gives you this ability to choose like an artist. And then mm-hmm. you. Um, rather than choosing that artist, you ch- they call it like you know the radio. So you know you can do like you know name a current band or any band, and then you would have radio. And what it does is it not only does it give you the uh, music from that particular artist or that band, then it'll give you music that's like you know that band. And I know yeah, that, you, that you know, there's times, genre. yeah, and there's times where I've actually uh, put in the Doors radio and just let it play in the background while I'm working. Mm-hmm. Um, so I enjoy that, you know, but, okay, you know. So it, what it, other artists do you get in that, that are on the Doors radio? I'm trying to remember. It's actually been a while because sometimes I just okay. kind of let it okay. go. But give me a minute and I'll tell you. Fair enough. I was just kind of wondering, like, what Spotify is considering as Doors Radio, you know? Is it is it The Who? Is it everybody else on this list? Is it, you know, is it Led Zeppelin and The Who and, uh, you know, and The Rolling Stones? Or You got they... The Clash, you got Ramones, Grand Funk Railroad. Oh, you know, The Clash. Then then they start, then you start getting into the new wave punk type, well, more punk type of uh, 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 setting, I guess. But that happened a little later in the 70s, though. I don't think we were quite there yet, 1971. Yep, Steppenwolf, George Thorogood uh-huh. and the Destroyers. Although there's a David Bowie uh, record on this list. It's not one of his amazingly popular ones, I think. Hunky Dory, but it does. I think Changes was on that one, so I wanted to mention that. Yeah, I, like, I, lo- I love Change, actually. That's a great song by David. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I took a look at this, uh, at the video they have posted associated with that, uh, with that album. And uh, take a look, because here he is. First of all, it's a video, which people didn't do at this time. Right, right. (laughs) And second, here he's in like this light teal blue suit, bright red hair and makeup. That I, I'm thinking to myself, how did he get away with this <laughs> in this time period? But that he just like started that whole glam rock wave, you know? Yeah. But it is really, he's really, you know, he's really, he was really out there for this time period with everybody else, you know, just kind of dressing like a hippie. <laughs> so, gotta love Bowie. <laughs> Life on Mars, question mark. Yeah, I don't really even know that song, but 
you know, I listened to a couple of these. I was like, I don't don't really hear them very frequently. But this look in this video definitely took off <laughs> with him anyway, yeah. and kind of started a whole new category. I'm gonna have to make some That's... sort of mental note after this to go back and listen to Queen Bitch. A song like that has <laughs> got to be good. Uh, okay, well, well, we didn't say too much about the doors. Um, you know, I kind of like them too. I, I like, I love the fact that this band had a really awesome keyboard. Oh yeah. Um, which uh, I, I don't know that that sixty psychedelic keyboard was was a big deal, and this I think was this band had a really good example of that. Um, and let's see. So Writers on the Storm was on here. Yeah, this, this is uh, a lot of really cool. Um, I I look at this more as more as 60s. Like this is 1971, and then he died. But I look look at this as more more of a 60s band, like a late 60s band. And this is maybe just kind of like the culmination before they self-destructed. But you know, they had an awful lot of influence. Yeah, unfortunately, I have Wikipedia open, you know, for uh, L.A. Woman talking about the uh, the album, and mm-hmm. you know, I get like a little picture of Jim uh, when he had gotten uh, convicted in Miami for pro- profanity and indecent exposure. So it's got his mug shot, um, which looks like that was 1970. But then I like, you know, I. There was like a 1971 interview with Ben Fong Torres, um, you know, who's uh, like editor of Rolling Stone. Um, you know, and every time I hear that name, I always think of uh, Almost Famous. So I love that movie. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah. He said, I think subconsciously I was trying to get across in that concert. I was trying to reduce it to absurdity and it worked too well. So this is an interview that uh, Jim gave uh, to Ben Ben Fong Torres. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think he had a lot to say. He was very he was very poetic. Uh, I mean, he was <laughs> it was probably on substances most of the time. <laughs> He's writing all this stuff anyway, but yep. you know, at least it was kind of uh, expanding his point of view, which uh, which is cool, which I can appreciate. But it's kind of sad that they, you know, they got him what for for profanity and indecent exposure. I mean, what the hell? Like <laughs> the things that go on in videos today. Like half the time, people are naked. You know, like right, right. I showed my daughter a bunch of videos from the eighties, and she laughed and said, "Look, nobody's naked." <laughs> <laughs> Very true. So this poor guy for them to ream him for this stuff, you know. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, he was doing that. What right on? Well, if if you take the movie, you know, the doors, you know, as to what that incident was about, you know, he's basically masturbating on stage. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but you know, I saw Bob Burnham, right? (laughs) Like do a whole like skit where he pretends to masturbate on stage to like Bach or something. But like, so like, it's just so ridiculous now. And in the eighties you had Madonna who basically, you know, was getting off on stage. Yeah, like dry at, humping people on yeah, the you know. Right. <laughs> so um, But I guess somebody had to put pave the way and pay for that. Yeah, so. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for your contribution, yeah. sir. 
Yeah. <laughs> and he did other stuff too, but <laughs> we'll give him yeah. credit for that one. Yeah. Well, the thing is, music now everything is just so kind of like sanitized. I, I don't know. Like they, you don't have bands like this anymore. Where people, do, but because the music companies can't, couldn't, had no control over them. You know. Right. They self-destructed. They. They did drugs, they killed themselves, they destroyed things, you know, and it wasn't any fun for the people who had to clean up after them and pay for all their, uh, you know, all the destruction. So so I guess that couldn't go on. But then you don't have people who are, um, who are reaching the levels of creativity, I think, that went on before things were cleaned up and made squeaky. So that's my opinion. Yeah, he, you know, I guess you could probably look at Jim Morrison as kind of like a modern day gladiator, you know, that's kind of playing to the crowd and saying, you know, I'm, you know, you want a show, I'm going to give you a show, but you know, it may not have been the show you wanted, but you're going to get it, you know, and uh-huh. so. It worked. Yeah, it worked for them. And that's definitely, you know, w- you know what they got their name for. You know, uh, mm-hmm. besides some really trippy music, which is just very, <laughs> very cool. You know, I, I I like the I like the sound, and I think I think you're right. I think it is uh, Ray Manserak's, uh keyboards that really kind of cement that sound, yeah, that door that door esque sound, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've always even when the '80s came along with the synthesizers, loved it. So just love that this was kind of a precursor, you know, that it really right. differentiated the sound of the, the band, that it wasn't just a guitar band. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just people smashing guitars. It was somebody actually composing. Um, well, you know, I don't want to, I don't, I guess I shouldn't feel superior about the keyboard, but <laughs> I do love them. <laughs> I can go with that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. So that's the albums. What do we have left? We have uh, TV shows. TV shows. Okay. Well, once again, yeah, you, you you showed the top three. Right. Which, let me pull that up. Yeah, so I remember All in the Family very well. I remember it was a, it was a, a big deal, groundbreaking thing, and everybody watched it. Um, Not me. I tried... Not well, I guess. Yeah, you you you're lucky that you're gonna get into Sesame Street before too long. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember it was on for a long time, so I remember from when I was older. I don't know if I was watching it when I was, you know, when I was seven. But I've tried to watch it since because you can stream it. Right. And it's almost uh, like first of all, you could throw it out there with any you know social justice speech that's going on right now, and it would fit right in. It's almost like the same thing all over again, which I guess is kind of sad after, you know, however many, however many decades. Um, but I don't know. I, I enjoyed it at the time. I thought it was really funny. Now it's almost just like so just such mean spirited, argumentative, you know, controversy. It's like, oh, my God, I can't even I can't even watch it anymore. But I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm an adult. I'm an adult now, and I have my own real problems to deal with. And <laughs> for me to watch another family work through theirs is 
is just too much reality. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I guess to sum it up, I mean, Archie is kind of a, a bigot. Well, not kind of. He is a bigot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the it you know it, it it kind of the the TV show is kind of him getting his either comeuppance or like a life lesson you know to you know not be that way if I remember kind of premise. Yeah. You know? Yeah, basically. So it's kind of a an a, a little hidden message in there you know that wasn't over your face because you you kind of put this idiot front and center. And you give him, you know, the uh, uh, the ability, you know, or the the rights to act like, you know, you know, the way that, you know, I guess, you know, whoever was, you know, producing, directing the show, kind of saw that lens of what was going on in America, and kind of like the well, here's why you guys start changing your mind, kind of type of thing. So, so I think there was one episode that I did watch where. Like, um, I think it was Sammy Davis Jr. was in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, all right, I, I, I kind of get the premise as, you know, if, if, if this is kind of the, the episode that's going to explain, you know, all in the family to me, you know, then, you know, that works. You know, that's a nice message. I'll move on. Yeah, that was an interesting moment that Sammy Davis Jr. Right. One, um, where there was a lot of heat. And uh, the thing is that the show made fun of you know, Archie was like the head of the household, but he, the show ribbed him to death. Um, so it, it just, it was a lot of, uh, a lot of kind of like feverish anger going on. But, it, you know, in, in the end, everybody, everybody still loved each other. I don't know. It, it was at least an example of, you know, we can have these different opinions and still be a family. That at least... I hope it's something that maybe we can, you know, take to heart now. Yeah. The other thing is I, I had brought this up uh, probably way earlier, like in podcasting and, you know, I'll admit it again, you know, Jean Stapleton, I just could not stand her voice when she was singing. <laughs> just couldn't she do it. She did not have much of a singing voice. No. <laughs> and, and, and I, I I get it, you know. She's probably, you know, the you know, she was probably given kind of the you know the direction to go kind of over the top with it and just really belt it out. But mm -hmm. um, and, and I think in a lot of people's eyes that was kind of endearing. Um, but I when I hear it, I kind of like, all right, let's just turn that off. <laughs> or can we mute oh, it well. past the theme song? <laughs> you know, that's kind of where my head's at. So. Okay. Okay. I can understand that. Yeah. I kind of let it go. You know, it was like, you know, you're, you're just kind of sitting in on them in their living room by themselves. Right. You know, so. Right. Yeah. yeah it doesn't have to be concert level performance or anything, but, <laughs> you know, I kind of let it go despite being a singer. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I suppose, you know, given the, the right frame of mind, it's like one of those where it, sure, if it's on, it's the only thing that's on because we only have one TV set. The parents want to watch it, then okay, you know, then it's either that or I'm in my room, you know, doing whatever it is that I would be doing. Um, you know, I, chances are I probably let that stuff just, you know, get a pass 
because it being on, you know, in the house. Mm-hmm. Not that I was watching it in 1971, but you know, if it would have been later years, these re- this that really wasn't a show that like my mom watched a lot of. You know, she was more into Barney Miller, uh, Mash. Oh, Barney Miller was good. Uh, even Hogan's yeah, Heroes. Watched... Um, yeah, that was a little earlier too. Yeah. See, well, it was on a lot in my house. I think I've seen most of those episodes, except maybe, maybe the later ones I stopped watching. Right. Um. Do you remember any of these, any of the, um, the Flip Wilson show? There were a lot of cool, like, variety comedy shows at the time. Then they got really corny, but I remember this show. Do you remember this show? Not at all. You know, the thing is, I'm looking at it as it's the number two show, but nobody really talks about this show. There's not a lot of nostalgia that goes on about it. I guess that's, that's a little weird and unfair, but I remember this show. Um, it was very funny. It was really funny. I remember there was a certain amount around this time. Okay, I was a very clingy kid. I had abandonment issues. My mother left the house. I would freak out. And, you know, of course, my parents tried to get out and do something now and then. Um, So I remember that on either Friday or Saturday nights, there were a bunch of comedy shows on that I would end up watching when they went out with a babysitter. And that would kind of distract me because I would always be have anxiety when we were not my when my mother wasn't there particularly. Um, and I remember those shows. I was really young. I remember those shows fondly in that way. Like that was what kind of kept me laughing, even though I was upset and anxious <laughs> and a neurotic child. But <laughs> but the Flip Wilson show was one of those shows. Um, and he would crack people up. He was a funny guy. <laughs> How was the Flip Wilson show in comparison to like a uh, Carol Burnett? It was similar. It was similar, but I think he like drove more. Well, no, I can't really say drove more characters. Carol, Carol Burnett kicked butt. She was hysterical. Yeah. It was. It was similar. It was the same kind of variety type show. What was interesting? Or maybe is more like Sunny and Cher. Yeah, yeah, they were all similar shows where they would have, you know, musical guests on and they would have, you know, they would do skits. Um, I don't know that I remember individually the, the skits that he did. I would remember more like the monologues and stuff that he did. That, and do you remember, do you know his Geraldine character? Um, yeah, actually, yeah. I, I, I he, was just scrolling through pictures and I was like, okay, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, now think about this. Like he would dress up in drag and do Geraldine on the on this show, which look, I mean, as a kid, I was like, oh, you know, it didn't mean a thing to me. It was just like, oh yeah, he's in this this one skit, he's a cop, and in this other one, he's a woman. You know, like what's the difference? But looking back on that, like th- that's pretty progressive to just I'm going to put on a dress and I'm going to be a woman in the show, you know, on national television in, in 1971. But he got away with it. It was really funny. Yeah, I, I guess um, once again, you know, we we had you know someone else that was, um, you know, paving the way, you know, to to the future of people, you know, doing that kind of thing for you know for a laugh, you know, uh-huh. and um, yeah, that I guess that's a gag that still gets used, right? <laughs> you know, you gotta put like mm-hmm. uh you know some uh a guy's guy, uh you know someone that's uh you know masculine enough, you know, and 
you know, have them have to wear a dress for some reason or another. And, um, you know, it, you know, and, and then, you know, insert laugh track, you know, cause it's just kind of, you yeah, know, yeah. kind of funny, you know, and, you know, think, you know, booze and buddies in the eighties. <laughs> That's true. Right. Yeah. Those guys did not look feminine, <laughs> but yet, there they were. Um, yeah, that that's true. That was more like situational, like you know, to me like that feels a little more fictional than a guy doing it like for stand-up purposes. Right. Although I mean that's obviously it's fictional also because he's a completely different character with a that he's named that you know, but I don't know. It seems like more like personally connected to him. Right. So, you know, kudos I guess to the audience and to him and to the audience in 1971 for you know cheering that on. But um. Yeah, and to be the number two show, I mean, I'm looking at a lot of the shows on that list that I remember. Maybe they ran longer, but I'm kind of feeling like why didn't why don't people talk a little bit more about Flip Wilson? As far as you know, like people maybe talk about Bill Cosby, um, Carol Burnett, and uh, you know even that um, you know All in the Family is a big deal here. I don't I don't hear a lot of people talk about Flip Wilson. Right. Maybe you should get a little bit more credit. Yeah, sounds like it. But yeah, according to this, I mean, we're looking at the and the reason why this is like the top rated, yeah, this is Nielsen ratings. Um, yeah. So I mean, but it, that's how they rated everything. Yeah. You know, that's how they, that's how they rated. There wasn't a, a competing service. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe that was it. Maybe you know, Flip had a you know a prime, uh, time slot, you know, to not compete with uh, mm. other you know the other networks. Hmm. I don't know. But um, yeah, that's good. That's good. It's it, it. It kind of. I mean, don't. I mean, the variety shows were big, you know, in, in the seventies. So yeah. you know, I I think you know having one on this list that that's not far. You know, you know, par from the course. So yeah, yeah, that's true. And then Marcus Welby, MD. Marcus Welby. Um, Did not watch that. Yeah, I've got nothing <laughs> on that. I I nah. just Googled it just to see what it was about. Um, a doctor. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. it's uh, it, it starred Robert Young as the title character, a family practitioner with a kind bedside manner who is on first-name basis with many of his patients. Okay. And who he made house calls. James Brolin as Steve Kiley, M.D., a younger doctor, was Welby's partner. Okay. Uh, that wasn't big in my house. Yeah, yeah. Or if it was, I didn't. Well, I used to, I, even if I didn't watch the shows, I would listen from my bedroom. So I knew everything that my parents watched. I gotcha. I don't, I don't think they watched this. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I really don't see anything of note here other than, you know, a, a James Brolin, you know, just. Yeah, it's nice to see where he got his TV start. Yeah. All right. So those are our uh, TV shows, unless there's another like 71 TV show that you want to mention. Yeah, well, there are a lot of good shows on just to run down some of the also rands. Mary Tyler Moore was on then. Partridge Family was on then. Laughing was pretty freaking funny, even as a kid. I appreciated laughing. Sometimes it could be like really juvenile, honestly. <laughs> Columbo. I, so, um, I love me some Columbo. Yeah, see, I probably listened to Columbo from the bedroom 
<laughs> after I was supposed to be asleep. But <laughs> I don't think I'll watch much of that. Oh, this but is Carol definitely Burnett a later thing. I, I've got, <laughs> I've, I've, I want to say it was Amazon Prime, um, where I've actually watched, you know, quite a bit of Columbo. And what I love the premise of that show is that you get – you know who who did it right from the beginning, and you spend the whole episode figuring out that – you know, Columbo's pretty much figured out who's guilty. But, you know, he's working out, you know, the the motive, and he's working out the um, – how they did it, you know. And you get to see it first – right – yeah, as the episode opens – you see the crime. So you know who did it. You know you know how they did it. And then, you know, through Colum- the, the lens of Columbo, you're learning why they did it and then you're also learning mm. uh how he figures out how they did it. You know, where did they screw up? Um and I love that about that show. It's like you don't you're not spending the entire episode going, All right, it had to be this guy. It just had to be that guy. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. I see the I see the benefits there. Yeah. Okay. Kind of new. Uh, kind of uh, kind of cool stuff. Uh, once more, shout shout out to the Carol Burnett show because that was so funny. And that was the big show I remember watching on weekend nights when my parents used to go out. <laughs> Kept me in stitches, just beyond funny. But. Now, here's something I didn't know. There was a follow-up to the Andy Griffith show. There was the new Andy Griffith show. Hmm. Somehow sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't recall ever actually watching it. I don't think it really caught on. (laughs) Yeah, it says... New Andy Griffith show. Yeah. Reboot. (laughs) After working for several years in the state capital for the government, Andy Sawyer learns that the mayor of his hometown is retiring from the position and is looking for an appointee to fill for the rest of the term. Thinking it sounds like okay. a good deal, Andy packs up and moves back to Greenwood with his wife. Okay. Yeah, how long did that last, did you say? <laughs> um, I don't think that was so big. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be critical, but... <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Um... I think it was kind of invisible. No, it looks like it was just one year, 1971. Oh, wow. Yeah, didn't last. He had to say a day long before. But anyway. Yeah, Sonny well, and Cher ran for uh, 71 to 74. Oh, yeah. That was a lot of fun, too. Sonny and Cher show was a lot of fun. Made me laugh. And I think it was kind of funny that after a couple of these um, these celebrity uh, variety shows were popular, they gave those damn programs to, like, everybody in the 70s. All these, like, really kind of second-rate actresses and um, any kind of singer that was popular, they'd throw a freaking variety show at them, and they just tanked. They were, some of them were really terrible. Like... Uh, the Captain and Tennille had a variety show, and oh, yeah. the Brady Bunch had a variety show, and Glenn Campbell had a variety show. Like, everybody that they could think of that they might be able to make a buck off of had a freaking variety show that, where they walked out on the long plank like Sonny and Cher in the beginning, and they sang a song, and they did some really lame sketches. 
<laughs> you know, but not everybody can be Carol Burnett or even Sonny and Cher, you know? Right. Sorry. Right. <laughs> so they tortured a lot of people with this stuff in the audience, <laughs> trying to, you know, make that lightning strike. But Did you notice that there's a lot of the, not, not a lot, but a handful of these shows that had lasted well into the 2000s? Um, like Soul Train? I don't know. I didn't realize that. Maybe I'm not looking at the same list. 1971 to 2006. Um, Very cool. There's something called a polka dot door, and it's went from 1971 mm. to 2000. The children's. I don't know program. what that is. Oh, no, I never watched it. Something called the old gray whistle test was from 71 to 2018. Contemporary music show featuring live performance and interviews with an emphasis mm. on album acts. Hmm. Maybe that's re- so, like a regional type of American bandstand type of thing. Could be. But yeah, it's just it's it's amazing looking at this list and you know seeing you know shows that have you know stood the, the test of time and just continue to do what they're doing. Yeah. Electric Company Pretty went cool. to two thousand nine. I loved the electric company. That was yeah. fun. Spider Man. <laughs> but yeah, yeah Columbo went to two thousand three. So oh, that's pretty neat. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so if brings us to uh, the end of the <laughs> the program. <laughs> well, I mean, if you want to throw out some of the uh, the major events, you know, that was going on. Uh, we talked a little bit before we started uh, that, you know, this is when Disney World opened up. Yeah. Um, That's a cultural phenomenon that, you know, everybody knew was going to be big. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was it, it, this is like the, the, the genius of Walt Disney. You know, he had opened up a park in California and did really well with it. But then he he, he understood his... The, the biggest negative with that area is that he only had a finite amount of space. Um, and then what he ended up doing was when he decided to open a second park, you know, which would be Disney World, he bought all the land around it, you know, to be able to expand. His ideal was to create kind of a one-stop shop for people to even – like there would be an airport that you can fly into, you know, a Disney airport, and you would never have to leave the uh, the property. You know, you would get everything you needed, you know, just living mm. on Disney property, uh, you know, yeah, for a short period brilliant. of time. So that was his, his mean, grand plan. It never came to fruition to that big, but it still came pretty big because he brought in Epcot after that, uh, Disney World, Animal Kingdom – um, you know, just kept adding, you know, or, or expanding that and growing the space, you know, from that uh, from that swampland area that he's, you know, a, you know, able to buy. Um, yeah, and yeah, at bottom dollar prices because right. it was all swampy, as you're saying. Right. And he, you know, he brought literally moved the earth to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It was pretty amazing. Very brilliant. Absolutely. But. Yeah, what I, I remember as a kid, just thinking that would just be the end all, be all, and we didn't get to go for a couple of years. I don't think I ed, ended up going till like 1974, and we went once when I was a kid, once. <laughs> I was like, big deal, 
You know, we were not like we did not have a big travel budget in my right. household. <laughs> we went once for one day. One. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I grew up in Florida, so I mean, it was one oh, of those scenes nice. where it was kind of like, yeah, that just you know that just that was almost like a given. You know that you know we were going to go to Disney for you know a trip this year. You know, it was just like yeah. So now it it's kind of a big deal for my kids. But to me, even now, I'm like, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's Disney. That's nice. <laughs> you know. Yeah, see, my kids have been multiple times. I kind of feel like I'm almost proud that, like, at this point, I've been to Disney World so many times. Like, I can picture in my head where everything is. Yeah. And, like, when I'm there, I know where to go and what's where. And Right. You know, my niece was an intern there. You know, she worked there for, like, four years. But... My kids have been there enough that, like, it's like, yeah, Disney. Like, to me, like, that was just, like, such a big deal to get to go for right. one day. But. Yeah, but know, now, but now, me. I mean, like, you know, they, they ended, they, they included this new Star Wars thing. And, you know, to me, that's the part that I'm, like, you know, really biting at the bit to experience. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. But see, my kids are a little older now. So last time I went to Florida, we ended up at Universal to do the Harry Potter stuff, you know? Yeah. Because they're not, they're not little kids anymore. So maybe the, the Star Wars thing would be the only thing they wanted to go to see. But it was so new and crowded, and they had COVID regulations last time I went. Yeah. So that's how come we didn't really end up there. But I'll get to that Star Wars thing. We're pretty geeky in my family when it comes to Star Wars. Yeah, my uh, my youngest. That's what she's pushing for right now. This year, she wants that <laughs> trip to go to Disney World for that for that reason. I can't fault her, um, but you know, it, I, I, and you know, I've got that whole thing that the COVID concerns. Um, so I'm actually the naysayer in the house right now because of that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to be. <laughs> it's like I want I, I want to go probably you know really bad too because I want to fly the Millennium Falcon. You know, and it's like, <laughs> come on, who doesn't? So. It's true. Yep. Uh, the other thing that happened in '71 is we uh, we lowered the uh, the voting age in the U.S. to 18. Yeah, that's one thing that historically I was not up on. I didn't realize that that's when that happened. So it, it's kind of strange to me that there would ever be a time that people couldn't, you know, were not considered old enough to vote <laughs> when they're, you know, in their early 20s or what have you. <laughs> Well, I think the logic is if you can sign up, you know, to defend our country, then you should have. Yeah, I remember the, hearing that yeah, a lot. Yeah. I um, remember hearing that a lot. I can go out, you know, I can go out to Vietnam and get shot. Right. But. <laughs> what was the voting age vote. in 1970 then? I don't know, that didn't look up. I kind of assumed it was 21. Uh, Google is Let's your see. friend. Uh, and I was trying to, I was hoping it was just going to give me a quick little snippet, but Google didn't play nicely. Uh, Lower yeah, 28 from 21 to 18. Yeah, yeah it was 21. Yeah, and in fact then, well, at least in New York, the drinking age until the 80s was 18. Right. Well, the, you know, that's the uh, the loophole I found. And it wasn't like I was looking <laughs> for a loophole, 
but you know, I joined the military, and on the base, if you had a military ID in the late 80s, then you could drink beer and wine coolers. Um, okay. So, so you had a pass, literally. What was that? You had a pass, literally. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Why would we leave the base? <laughs> Just go to the base club. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, because, you know, we were in San Diego. And, you know, if you went out on the town, then, you know, you're a bunch of 18, 19-year-olds. You're like, all right, well, there's no way they're going to give us any liquor. But, hey, you know, we can stay on the base and get pretty toasty. So let's do that. So, very cool. Yep. Uh, let's see what else. Disney World. Uh, we had the Apollo 14 mission to the moon. Yeah, but I think after the excitement of Apollo 13, it wasn't quite as big a deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like, all right, they left. They came back. No drama. <laughs> well, I, you know, I. I don't know. I since I, I mean, obviously I was alive, but I wasn't really following it very closely. But if I were to apply kind of how I felt after the um, the Challenger exploded, and then the first oh. mission after where they were successful, there was a lot of like, you know, just appreciation, you know, for the space program. You know, it's like, yeah, you, know, you guys didn't stop. You didn't let that disaster you know define you you decided to go you know do it again you know and try again and fix whatever the problem was and you know i would probably think that you know the people that you know were you know following you know those events you know probably felt the same way about Apollo 14 you know after the tragedy of the 13 which wasn't a tragedy but it could have been uh-huh uh, yeah, I guess there's some uh, validity to that, where there was a certain amount of pressure on them after that. Yeah. And fear, for the, you know, among the nation as to whether it was going to, you know, this was going to be a viable program going forward, you know? Right, right. But I don't know. I, as a kid, I guess we weren't, I, I wasn't that immersed in it. I, I do vaguely remember hearing about a, um, the astronauts who died in Apollo 11. And I was really young then. Um, to the point where in my head it was like, well, that's very scary. I'm not going to think about it. <laughs> but uh, I do vaguely remember hearing about that. Now, this is something that I was not aware of until, until this very minute. I'm like one minute old, and I just learned this. Um, Apollo 14, uh, what was it? Commander Alan Shepard uh, became the fifth person to walk on the moon, but he was the First to try golfing on the surface. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. That's funny. <laughs> Dude, what, that that's awesome, man. To go, you know what? Not only am I going to go there, I'm going to see if I can swing a ball, you know, swing the club and hit a ball. I'll look at this video I, of it. I'm going to have to watch that. Oh, that would be funny. It could it could be like very anticlimactic though. You know, because it's not like – I don't think you can get, like, a, a, a really good swing, you know. I, I, mean, I guess not. You know, with not. all that, looking with at, the space gear the on. The I'm looking at is very fuzzy, so. Yeah. <laughs> but just the attempt, it sounds fun, you know. Yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah. And who knows? Has anybody tried to golf on the moon since? Or was I he the only not. one that thought of that? 
I can't, I haven't heard about it if they did. I'm just wondering, do you hit yeah. the ball and it just, like, never lands? Yeah, right, and it just goes off into space. <laughs> I mean, that, that that's a shot that just keeps no, going just, yeah, and just going goes, and going. <laughs> You'd have to work on your short yeah. game, but I think the long game would be something, it'd be out of this world is what it would be. Uh, <laughs> pun intended. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very good. Well, I guess I had to, you know, figure out a few new tricks to kind of get the attention of the public and yeah. say you're doing something new. So, cute. Uh, and then the Soviet Union got their first space station, uh, so that went up uh, in 71. Orbited for a total of 175 days before it was purposefully deorbited and disintegrated above the Pacific. Okay? Okay. Just to say I did it. We, we can do yep. it. We can get a space station up there. So. Right, right. So that's, you know, that was the whole space race. Yeah. So that they had to have some... You know, they had to have claim to the first this and first that, and so did we. We kind of took turns, I think. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, like, other, like, uh, you know, some, some notable, like, news headlines. But, you know, the uh, the one that I think, you know, was definitely riveting for a lot of America was Charles Manson and three of his followers received the death penalty. So to, you know, have, you know, their... That the Manson family, you know, to get that kind of not, you know, at that time they were convicted, but then to receive the death penalty. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, get a little that closure. was all rather sickening. Yeah. yeah. But another thing, I think my parents tried to shield me from a lot of bad news. So a lot of that stuff I heard about later. Oh, the floppy disk was created. By IBM in '71. Really? Yeah. It took a while. It took a while for that to get some traction, but yeah. <laughs> but who knew that there were floppy disks way back then? Yeah. What did they insert them into? There were no. <laughs> well, they, this is IBM, so I would assume you know oh, some okay. really IBM heavy-duty business <laughs> machines. Yeah. Uh, soft contact lenses became available commercially in the USA. Hmm. So back in the uh, early 70s, people have been putting their finger in their eye, which gives me I the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, but I I don't remember that a lot of people having those. I remember people having the glass lenses maybe until at least like 76 or 78. Right. Um, if they had the soft lenses, they were probably hugely expensive. In fact, I even I remember those glass lenses being like $300 a piece. Hmm. And so, I mean, maybe some people could could afford that, but I don't think like your average Joe. Gotcha. So it's just, it, it wearing just it, became available. So. Yeah. Uh, and then Kevlar. Kevlar was discovered. Kevlar. Yeah. That saved a lot of people. Yep. Five times stronger than steel. Yeah, pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing uh, uh, video and photos of them, uh, you know, just testing it. Just like, okay, we'll shoot at each other. <laughs> I wouldn't 
didn't want to be the one to test that shit. Yeah, I know. I'd be like, you want to do what? You want me to put this on and you want to shoot me? What? They just like shot at each other. How much am I getting paid for this job again? Come on. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I don't remember signing up for this. This is uh, oh, other duties assigned. Got it. Okay. Yeah, all right. Thanks, boss. All right. Anything else you uh, want to throw out there for 1971? Oh, uh, I think we covered a lot of ground there. Okay. Well, outstanding. Yeah. It's getting kind of late. <laughs> it is. Look at that. Time is a flying. <laughs> We're, yeah, we're an hour 30 into this. But I guess it was a big year. Yeah. <laughs> Went a little bit longer than I thought it was going to because, you know, I didn't know that much about, you know, the uh, the, the movies or the albums. But uh, we made it work. So this is cool. Yes, we did. Yeah, definitely. So does this mean now we're going to have – we're going to do 81 and 91? That totally means we're doing 81 and 91. Yep. 81 was a good year for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling I'll have a lot more to talk about, uh, you know, for movies and uh, TV shows. Yeah, with, you know, with, with uh, personal memories, at least. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, well, I'm, I'm glad I was able to offer up some firsthand memories of some of this stuff, <laughs> even if it dates me. Uh, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, yeah, that's the point. Vintage. I am vintage. Yes. That's uh, that whole retro thing we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> All right. So uh, so I guess we're closing up. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember our lovely sign-off. Well, you can visit us at uh, bonsairetroclub.com. We've uh, got our site up there, and uh, you know, we're going to start uh, adding to it again. Uh, we recently won a couple of awards, some W3 awards for our podcast, so we're kind of proud of that. Um, we're also out there on on Facebook and on uh, Twitter, and uh, so you can kind of uh, take a look and add a comment or let us know what you want us to talk about next. Uh, and let's see, you can um, you know you can take a look for me out there on uh, Twitter at, at, at uh, com. Actually, have uh, a novel set in the 80s with some, you know, college girls on break learning about life coming out in the spring. So I'll keep you posted on that. Woo-hoo! It's called, yeah, it's called Once in a Lifetime. And, uh, yes, that is a reference to the Talking Heads. Um, <laughs> and, and in the meantime, everybody uh, be cool and have fun and be excellent to each other. And uh, we'll see you next time. Did I forget anything? Not at all. <laughs> Party on, Suzanne. Okay. Party on, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Uh, bye Bye-bye. This has been a Bonsai Retro Club production. Bonsai, Daniel, sir. Hey, Bonsai.